It's uh, good to be back with you here this morning. And I love that last song, um, Lord, Have Your Way in Me, is such an important way to approach when we come to church. I, I just felt uh, led by the Lord as we were singing. Um, for those of you who are coming to see Taryn um, tonight, I know we've made a big thing about, oh, he's such a phenomenal preacher. But there is such this, there is such an important thing. And this is a, just an application to all church when we come to church is we're coming for God, not the man. I remember when I was about 14 years old, 15 Hillsong came to South Africa, Port Elizabeth, and we, we traveled up, and I was so excited. My favorite band, and, and they arrived, and they sang the songs, and I went to home so disappointed. Not feeling the Lord, not feeling uh, anything amazing. They played well, and they did Hillsong stuff. But the Lord challenged me on the way home that night, and it was because I had come to PE to hear Hillsong and not to worship the Lord. And, and sometimes it might, you might have the similar experience. You might go see Angus Buchan. You might go see a preacher you, lo- you enjoy, you, you uh, idolize, you look up to. And when you get there, you're disappointed. And the, and the reason is because our hearts have not been come to hear from God, but to hear from man. And when our hearts are like that, man, only what we hear is hear from man and not from God. And so that's a good application to have, regardless if we come to church or you're going to see someone special, is we arrive going, Lord, I want to hear from you. Because when we do that, there is life. We can approach, we come as his, his children wanting to hear from him, and man, he, he speaks to us, and, and that's important. And, and so as we dive into the word this morning, as we unpack, we're going to be in Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. As we unpack that, that passage and, and really just see what Jesus is saying here, again, the, the lens that I want you to be looking through as we do this is that God is a good God. God is good. All the time. God is good. And I, I want you to realize that because Again, we're talking about for the Father's eyes only, but as we've done for the last two weeks, we've spoken about the Father's heart for us. We have a Father's heart that loves and cares for and cherishes us, and, and this word that He has given is one in which he, he wants us to be able to understand the full magnitude of His love for us, to experience the life that He desires for us. Alyssa has created an email for Malachi, believe it or not. Um, he's seven months old, and her idea is she wants us to email him things so one day when he's much older, we can give him the email address, and there's this love letters that we've written to him. And man, as I pray and as I spend time in the Word, I just feel stuff bubbling in me that I, I wish my son would get. I was on worship the other day, watch out for this. Be careful for this, my son. And this is what God is doing to us. And sometimes this is reflective for us. It's hard to hear, but it's out of love of a father for the, his sons and daughters. And so as we approach this man, this section of Matthew 6 for the, all the way to verse 18 is heart-wrenching stuff. There's some great stuff, but it is really dealing with the heart. But again, look through the lens of a love for a father for his children. That's why he's writing this. So have that in mind. As we do this, Matthew 6, verses 1 to 14, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It goes as follows. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. 
Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Lord, as we come to your word, we just want to be receptive to it. Father, we pray that you would minister to our hearts, that you would deal with the stuff that's in there so that we might live for your glory, that we might know you more, that we might experience the satisfaction of being close to Christ. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that the words that I speak would not be my own, but would be yours, that you would speak to us, we pray. We believe in you, Lord, and we want to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we dive in and unpack those four verses, what I, what's important for us to understand is that verse 1 in chapter 6 is the foundation to which we see all the rest of the next 17 verses, all the way to the end of verse 18. Verse 1 is the foundation and the lens in which we look through that. Jesus here is not talking about a new type of righteousness. He's not talking about three different categories of almsgiving, prayer, and, and fasting. But rather what Jesus is focusing on here is the motive behind righteous living. Why do you do the things that you do? Does that make sense? And so Jesus is not wanting to talk about different things as much as giving examples of how do you practice this righteous living and how do you not. So there are different commentators that will try and talk about why Jesus chose these two things. D.A. Carson, a well-respected New Testament scholar, if you can get any of his books, I suggest you do. He, um, he goes and says, well, the reason why Jesus chooses these particular three are because they are the three main Jewish acts that they did. They're three main pieties of uh, giving, of prayer, and fasting. Now, another guy you might have heard of, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, probably the greatest preacher of the uh, uh, 20th century, he goes on and says, well, probably Jesus chooses these three because it, it relate, it's our relationship as Christians with uh, it deals with the wholeness of our relationships. So it deals with our relationship with others in giving. It deals with our relationship with prayer, our relationship with God in prayer. And it deals with our relationship with self in fasting because you kind of have to self-sacrifice, etc. But regardless of the reason why Jesus chose these three examples to explain righteous living, the f- main point that I want you to come away with, it is the motive behind it that Jesus is focusing on. What is your motive behind righteous living? But as we read that verse, particularly verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. That might jump out to you as a bit of a contradiction to what Jesus has said in verse 5. Chapter 5, sorry. In chapter 5, Jesus says this verse, um, if you've been with us in in Matthew 5, you would recognize it. If you haven't, uh, you'd probably recognize it anyway. Um, It says this, you are the light of the world. Remember this verse? A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, here it is, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So how does that fit with Matthew 6, verse 1? Is, is it, there's seemingly a contradiction there. How does, how does that work and how does that fit all together? Well, remember, it's all about motive. 
In Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16, the motive behind why you must let your good work shine is what? Let your work shine before, let you, so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The motive behind doing it in Matthew 6 is so that others might glorify God. Where Jesus is warning us in Matthew 6 that we must not do these good works so that people might look at us and give us glory. That's again an issue of motive. Where in Matthew 5 verses 14 and 16, Jesus is really uh, telling us and encouraging us and saying, go and be about the kingdom of God. Be salt and light in this world. Be bold and courageous. As Christians, go out and extend the kingdom of God. Where in Matthew 6, Jesus is warning us that life is not about building our own kingdoms. Be careful about making it about you and your reputation. It's rather about God. And so while these might on the surface seem like a bit contradictory, actually these two marry well together. They fit, go hand in hand really well together. And what Jesus is trying to warn us is don't get these things the wrong way around. Don't get them mixed up. Don't be about self rather than about the kingdom. Don't be about your glory rather than about the, the glory of God. And, and so how do we get these things mixed up? I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this sermon. Why do we often focus on self rather than the kingdom, rather than the glory of God. And it might seem so simple to you and so elementary, but may I suggest it's because the simple and elementary things are over often looked because they're so simple and we don't give them focus. But the reason why we do it is because we've taken our eyes off Christ. When we are focusing on self and focusing on our kingdom and our glory, our eyes are on not on Jesus, they're on self. Because when our eyes are on Jesus, what do we see? Man, we see a holy God. We see a God who is holy, who is righteous, who is just. And any natural response of walking or seeing or being in the presence of a holy God is that you realize your own sinfulness. You realize your own depravity. Man, he is so holy, I have nothing in me that is good. And so when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, it is not possible to walk around beating your own chest. Because there's nothing to boast about. It's been poor in spirit. Remember that? When we, when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, what do we see? Man, we see a savior with scars in his hands and his feet. Who's died so that we might be pulled out of the Mari clay. That our, our sin might be forgiven. That he's taken us from darkness to light. From death to life. From slavery to, um, to being sons and daughters of the living God. To being free. You're right, Brian. Being free. And man, when we've got our eyes on Jesus, it seems foolish to think that I must live for my own life. Why? Because I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. My life is not mine. It is Jesus. When we look at Jesus, what do we see? We see a king that's traded the crown of thorns for a real king's crown. Man, he, he's ruling. He's active. He's the king of kings, the lord of lords. He is controlling the universe. It moves and functions because he allows it to. Nations rise and nations fall because he determines that they do. He is king of kings and the lord of lords. We sang about that this morning. Man, 
How foolish it is to look at him, this king who's established an eternal kingdom, and say, man, I'm going to look after my own. I'm going to establish my own temporal, small, little, minute kingdom. It is impossible to look at Christ and be focused on him than to focus on self. We just can't do it. And so the way we focus on Christ is by spending time in this living word, spending time in prayer, daily meditating on his word, constantly asking God at the beginning of the day, man, Lord, help me to fix my eyes on you. Let today be about you. And when we get that right, our motive becomes right. So let's look at this particular example that Jesus gives us today. He gives us an example of um, giving to the needy or, or giving alms. And before um, we unpack the motive side of things, there's two things that I want to point out to you. And the first is that the section is not a teaching or an instruction or an urge or an encouragement or a demand that you must give. This passage is not, Jesus is not saying you must give. In fact, Jesus just assumes that you are. As a follower of Christ, pursuing him, wanting more of him, Jesus in the section just assumes that you are already giving. It's part of the fundamental, um, it, is a, it is the foundation of pursuing Christ. It's one of them. It's loving out. It's part of it. How do we know that? Jesus does not say, if you give, what does he say? When you give. Just when you give. He expects that you are. That's the first thing. Secondly, and we don't necessarily get this in English, especially South African English, right? When I, I'm speaking to Mark, I can go, you did this. But when I'm speaking to all of you, what can I say? You did this. I don't have, Americans, you'll say yo, or, or in some places you'll say use. You know, maybe some, somewhere in South Africa we say use, or use did this. But mo- mostly it's just you, just for singular and plural. Here, what is Jesus using? He's using the singular. It's not, it's not a, a plural tense. He's not talking to the crowd, but he's talking to the individual. He's saying, when you give. Again, this is important for us, is that we need to, as Christians, have a, an individual look of how am I giving. Not how are my family members doing it. My mother runs a fantastic ministry. She gives a lot. I can't just go, well, my mom does it, so that means I'm covered. No, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Jesus is talking to me. What am I doing? It's not, what is the church doing? Man, there's some great things that the church is doing. We've got a phenomenal trust that is doing some stuff. But I can't just fall in the blank. Oh, my church has a thing called breath of life. They hope abandoned babies, therefore I'm covered. No, no, Jesus is going, what are you doing? This is cause an individual you're expected to give. Because as our pursuit of loving up, loving Christ, man, the natural outflow of that is loving out and loving in, helping those who are in need, whether they be in this church or out of this church, we are expected to do that. So have that in mind. And so we're going to focus on three motives when we give. And you might say, Joe, I do not give. And these three motives might not apply to me. Well, again, you expect it to, so maybe that you need to be taken away. But remember, these are just examples that are given. So the principles in which we learn here in, in giving to the need are it can also be principles in which we can apply to every other aspect of righteous living. 
These are not just synonymous to um, giving to the needy. These can be applied to all areas as well. So we're going to tackle these principles, but you can apply them to the other areas of your life. The first motive we find is, in, is found in verse 2. It says this, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Yeah, Jesus is saying, don't walk around and blow a trumpet. Do, 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 when you do good works. Hey! And everyone looks and sees the stuff you're doing. He's saying, don't go around and blow a trumpet. Don't, when you do good works, don't post it on social media. Don't shout. Don't make a scene so that everyone might see the amazing work you're doing. Jesus here is not saying they literally walked around with trumpets. They didn't when they did good works, but he's painting the picture here. What he's saying is, don't proclaim what you've done. Don't draw attention to self. Don't, hey, look at what I've done. Don't draw attention to self when doing th- these things. Now, when you do that, Jesus says you're hypocrites. Now, I, I realize we've discussed what hypocrisy is for the last two weeks, but I also realize that some of you haven't been here in the last two weeks, so let me explain to you what it is. Again, hypocrisy is... Um, doing something, pretending to be something you're not, or doing something that's not in your character so that you might get the praise of others. Get that? Pretending to be something you're not in order to get the praise of others. Now, this can play out in three motives or three different ways. Um, A hypocrite can be extremely intentional. The person who's doing the acting is extremely intentional. He's wanting to deceive others on purpose. Let me give you an example. I was 11 years old. I was sitting at Gnubi Methodist Church in the pews. Um, let me grab an offering bag because it doesn't require one of these. Um, I was sitting in one of the pews and um, the offering bag came around just like this one. And it was passed around through the pews and this particular Sunday, I would, well, this, on a normal Sunday, I would have asked my grandfather for money because I was 11, didn't earn any money of my own. So I'd go, hey, do you have any change for me? I didn't earn pocket money. And so he would just give me a five rand or two rand or whatever he had, he would give to me to put in. And this particular uh, Sunday, he gave me nothing because he didn't have any change on him. So when the bag came around, it uh, came to me and I pretended to put money in. And the way I did this was I took my hand, pretended there was money, grabbed it like this on the corner so it looked like I'd put money in. And as I did that, I hit it at the same time at the bottom. So all the coins made a noise. So it sounded like money was landing in it at the same time. Don't do this next week Sunday. I'm going to be watching. (laughs) But I did that because I wanted everyone to think that I had put in. It was devious. 11 years old and I was coming up with this stuff. It was amazing. What happened to me? I... Could have become a bank robber or something. <laughs> By God's grace, right? Man, I intentionally did that so that everyone, I was intentionally deceiving. I passed the bag to my grandfather. He knew exactly what I had done. Because I hadn't, I asked for money. I didn't have any. He passes the bag. He turns around and he just, he just calls me straight out. He goes, you're a hypocrite. I had never heard that word in my life before, but I knew exactly what it meant. And you see, hypocrisy can be intentional. It can be something in which we intentionally pretend to be something we're not. But hypocrisy isn't as um, blatant as that all the time. It can be a whole lot more subtle. 
It can be another way. It can be uh, one where the person who's doing the deceiving actually believes their own deceit. They believe in their own line, which they're telling, but everybody else looks in there. You look at that guy and you go, man, that guy's making up stuff. He's not like that, but he believes it himself, but you can tell. That's the second way. The third way hypocrisy can happen is it can be the person who does it believes in the lie and the person who sees it believes in it as well. And that's an unfortunate place to be because no one really catches up on the hypocrisy that's going on. There's a subtleness to it that is so subtle that you might even feel it's necessary. I'll give you another example. I have loads of examples of myself. Um, I was about 17, 18 years old. I had a mate of mine who was at a, a church. Um, he got all, all his friends that were youth leaders in a variety of different churches together. He wanted, as youth leaders, um, teenagers, um, to get together. And what we were going to do is we were going to run different events, to be involved in charities, etc., etc. It was a great idea. I love it. But his idea was to first we'd get all together. He would invite us to come and we would meet each other. So the first meeting we got together, we started to meet and we all had coffee and tea and biscuits and all that kind of stuff. There was laughing and joking. But part of the meeting was that now we had to sit down and just get to know each other. And so the idea was, say your name, say the church that you're from and say what you do in your ministry so that we can play the team. So that we know this person is in worship, this person does this. And so when we do events and stuff, Man, we just know who, who needs to start leading what and who we can get in touch with. And that was a fantastic idea. So they started going around the circle. So-and-so does this, and they go to this church, and what do I And the next person, and the next person. There was about 15 of us. And it was not long before this became a big boast session. Man, my name's so-and-so, and I come from this church, and these are the things that I do. And I was listening to These were amazing. Some of these guys did phenomenal things. They were involved in this worship team. They ran this with this organization. They were involved in this. And I was just blown away that by the time it started getting close to me, I felt the pressure. I felt the pressure to perform. I needed to be a part of the circle. Man, I feel like I need to say stuff. So, man, my name is Joe, and I'm from Ganubi Baptist. That's where I was at the time. And I dived in headfirst. I started off in Genesis and ended in Revelation. I mean, I told them everything under the sun that I had done. This and this. And I was involved in this and I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and man, they, I could see the grin started to smile. They were nodding, approving of me. I, I was a part of the group. I was second last, I remember. And my mate Jared, who was next to me, it was his turn to go. He was phenomenal. Led worship ministry, uh, fantastic lead in a variety of areas of the church, youth ministry, children's ministry, intelligent, just, I mean, a great all-round guy. And it was his turn. I was like, man, Jared's going to blow them away. And Jared went, hi, my name's Jared Trocus. I'm from Ganubi Baptist. Nah, guys, I'm just here to help. Oh. <laughs> and it was like a dagger to the heart as I realized Jared had got it right and I had got it wrong. And I'll tell you that story because I felt like I needed to say something. I felt like everyone else had said something to impress, and I was there to tell them what I did so that I could be best used for the kingdom of God. I needed to tell them what I needed to do because I felt necessary. But it wasn't. It definitely wasn't. And it was subtle in the beginning, but it turned out to be, look at me, not look at God. And man, it could be something as, as simple as driving Gnubi Main Road. It's got like 30 people 
every day as you go down that are looking for jobs. And it's just, it's bad. Just asking. Job, job, job. It can be simple as doing your best to help by bringing food and, and going, man, I'm doing all of this. But I wish others could help. But you're telling everyone what you're doing. I, I hand out burgers and chips and pizzas. I, I, I help them amazingly. Oh, but man, I wish others could do because it's just not enough. Your heart's, your heart's genuine, but you just have to let everyone know what you're doing as well. It can be simple as a prayer meeting. as asking people to pray. You're trying your best, but you need God to intervene. And so you're just having to boast a little bit more. It is subtle, but it is there. And there's this carefulness in which Christ is saying, beware of doing these things in order to receive praise. Now, now hear me here. This is not an out never to do good stuff. Christ tells us in Matthew 5 verses 14 and 16, what? Be light of the world. Show your good works. But what Jesus is saying here is if you have the tendency to make it about self, don't do it in front of people. If you have the tendency to be prideful and boast about who you are, make sure you avoid it. If your motive is not right, don't do it. And again, this does not mean you don't do anything and, and doesn't mean you can't be seen by others. I remember when I was 14 years old, around about that age, when I had read this passage, I would sneak through parking lots and give someone some money because I didn't want anyone to see me because I was scared I was going to lose my reward. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about motive. He's talking about motive. It's not about praising self, boasting out. Uh, oneself. Beware, says Jesus. The second one is found in verse is for, uh, found in verse three. So that's a wrong motive. The second one is also a wrong motive here. Found in verse three, it says, "When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing." Let me read that again. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What is Jesus talking about? Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He's just told us in, in Matthew 5, be intentional in giving. And now he's saying when you be intentional, but just don't let you half of you know what the other half is. How does that even work? How can your right hand do something without your left hand knowing it? Do you hide it behind your back? I mean, how does that practically work? What Jesus is trying to say here is do not dwell on it. Do not overthink it. He's saying... Do not do something good and then walk around and think about it all day long. Because, man, we can, we can get the first part right. We can give and, and not boast about it, not tell anyone else about it, but we tell ourselves all day long. Man, I have helped that guy out. I gave him 20 bucks. He must be so stoked. He got two rands from all those other people, but from me, he was given 20 rand. He's telling his mates about it all day long. Oh, I'm a nice guy. I've done this. I've done that. And Jesus says, watch out, because while you're not getting the praise of others, man, you're building yourself up. And something that should not be a self-conscious act that should not take place, you shouldn't even know about it, suddenly it becomes self-pride, self-righteous. Self-righteousness starts to build in our hearts. And, and quite frankly, it's quite perverse, isn't it? Almsgiving, the implication in, in the Greek is acts of mercy. So it's not only just giving money, it's all acts of mercy. It's acts of mercy to people, real people in real situations that are desperate who need to be helped. And somehow, in our sinfulness and our subtleness, 
We don't tell others about it, but we make it all about us. Which should be about helping real people in real need. Somehow we make it as perverse thing about how great we are. It's wrong. It's just wrong. And Jesus is saying, do it, forget about it, don't think about it. Again, he's not saying you can't budget for your giving. Man, if you do that, if you set a certain amount of money aside each month to give, that's fantastic. But what Jesus is saying, yeah, don't overthink it about how great you are. Does that make sense? Just forget about it. Just forget about it. He moves on to the third motive. Let's, let's look at that. It says here in verse 4. So let's read verse 3 and verse 4 together. It says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Here it is. So that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. He's saying your motive needs to be not that others might see you and praise you. Your motive must not be so that you can build yourself up and make yourself feel good. Your motive must be because you are living under the Father's eyes only. That he sees. He will, he's got a list. He's making note and he will reward you. We're not going to talk about rewards. We're going to speak about that in two weeks' time. But he will reward you. He sees it all. And at the end of the day, it becomes down to... Uh, comes down to a choice between two things. Are we going to please the Father or are we going to please self? And you might say to me, no, 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 Joe, it's not about pleasing the Father or pleasing self. It's about pleasing others or pleasing the Father. But really, at the heart of wanting to please others is because it makes us feel good. It's about self. But you know what the problem with choosing self is? The problem is people are fickle, right? People are. We fickle. You fickle. Everyone's fickle. One day you do something great, everyone's going, wow, that person's amazing. They do this, this, and that. The next day they see you run a traffic light and they're calling you all types of names. That person, you see how they drive and this, and, and they're slandering your name. They, they, they praise you one day and they, 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 um, they slander you the next. It happened to Christ. He arrived in on a donkey. They praised him. Three days later they crucified him. We are fickle. We are fickle. And going for the praise of others means that you are going to have some temporary praise because they're going to turn on you. And satisfaction doesn't last. And you need more. And you need more. It's just never, ever satisfying. And they will turn on you. But choosing to please the Father, serve Him. He notices, He rewards, and He will reward you openly for it. And you know what? When we do that, we get to know Him. In ways in which we haven't, we get to experience His presence. In ways in which we haven't, we get to experience the satisfaction of knowing the Father. And it is lasting. And there is joy. And there is peace. And there is comfort in being in the living, in the lifestyle that God has intended us to live. It's this crazy thing that we pursue something that's temporal and not lasting, rather than pursuing the Father and living for Him, because there is lasting satisfaction that's there. And it comes down to that simple choice. It seems like a no-brainer, but that's where we ultimately have to decide. And we're going to come around the communion table now. I can ask Pete and Mark if they wouldn't mind coming here. And while we come around here, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, close with this statement. Church, the reason why we love and the reason why we give alms and the reason why we help people in need is because we were first loved. That's it. We do this because we 
were first loved. Man, when we were sick, our Savior came and gave us help. When we were hopeless, we had Christ. When we were, um, when we were dead, we had Christ. When we were uh, lost, we had Christ. He came. He loved us. And so the reason why we love is because we have been loved. Not because we deserve the praise, but rather we've received what we've been giving. It's about Jesus. And so as we come around this communion table and as we partake of these elements and we drink of the grape juice and we eat of the, the bread, we remember the love of Christ for us. That by his stripes we have been healed. By the shedding of his blood we have been cleaned. We have been taken from being slaves to being sons and daughters of the living God and he has loved us. And so we love as well.